Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today, presented by Line and Kugels. More on their great variety of beverages later on in the podcast. Frank Stample joined, as always, by Scott White here on Thursday, October 7th. One of us still has a rooting interest in the postseason, and it isn't me. To the delight <laughs> of many, the Yankees have been el- eliminated by the Red Sox, losing 6-2. to two. Scott, I know that you watched this entire game First pitch to the last pitch. It was a a great game to watch. Assuming you're a Red Sox fan. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it seems like it was an exciting game for the Red Sox. It was a, a a highly viewed game. I was seeing the ratings on it were among the best in in years. And um, you know, Yankees Red Sox. That's always a lot of interest. I feel like the interest was kind of outsized, and you know. There are a lot of Yankees fans very upset, a lot of Red Sox fans very excited, and, and that's fine, I guess, but does anybody expect that game to mean anything to what ultimately happens in the playoffs? I like I understand if it's your team, you're excited, and you know, obviously there's always a chance if you're alive, and so it's better to be alive than dead, but like no. <laughs> Nobody without a rooting interest, you know, should should be that invested in the outcome because neither of those teams is going anywhere. Right? I I understand what you're saying, but Scott, I mean, they are two very polarizing teams and uh, teams that I think other fan bases enjoy hating and seeing the demise of. So uh, either way, someone had to lose yesterday. And well, yeah. two days ago now, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's going to be released on Thursday, of course. Uh, but yes, to the delight of many, the Yankees are eliminated. And, and I've got to talk a little bit about Garrett Cole. So we'll do that here up at the top. Uh, I have a few Rockies extensions I want to talk about and uh, things you might have missed in September. And we do have some season awards uh, later on in the podcast. So let's start with this. Oh, my good, goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gracious. Garrett Cole getting paid a lot of money. Uh, to not pitch very well in this uh, single-game elimination wild-card game. He goes two-plus. He gives up four hits, two walks, three earned runs, including two home runs, one to Xander Bogarts, one to Kyle Schwarber. And you watch this game. I mean, look, he had really nothing. He had no command of his fastball. His pitch sequencing was super weird. He threw a 2-0 changeup to Xander Bogarts right down the middle, which wound up being crushed after he threw him a few sliders off the plate. Um I don't know. Like he just looked off, man. He looked scared, uh, not ready for this game. Whatever you want to say, whatever kind of uh, storyline you want to come up with, but maybe he's still pitching through the hamstring injury, whatever it might be. In the back of my mind, which I feel like you know, people, the broadcasters just kind of like they walk around what what's actual what they actually want to say here. Let's be honest. Garrett Cole has not been the same since the sticky substance situation, right? Like, there was a stretch. There were some really great starts in there. There's no doubt about it. But his final 19 starts, not including the wild card game, so final 19 regular season starts from June 3rd on, a 4.15 ERA, 1.20 whip, 11.9K per nine, still very good, 2.6 walks per nine, uh, a 14% swinging strike rate, 
the underlying number is much better. You know, 3.66 FIP, 3.31 XFIP, a 3.26 Sierra. I did way too much research on this today. It's nowhere near the pitcher that he was with the Astros from 2018 to 2019. And it's nowhere near the pitcher that he was for 23 starts with the Yankees before June of this year. So if you take 2020 and the first two months of the season combined, 23 starts, um, he was like, even the underlying numbers are, are, they're not really close to where he was in these other stints with the Astros and with the Yankees. So I say all of this, Scott, because if I'm investing a late first or even an early second round pick in Garrett Cole next year, I want to be sure. I, I, I want to feel safe about the pitcher, the player that I'm taking that early in the draft. And unless something happens in the offseason where they give the green light to some kind of substance that everyone uses, some universal substance, something, I just don't know that I'm going to feel that way about Garrett Cole, that I'm going to feel safe about him uh, as a first or second round pick. What say you? Well, which pitcher would you feel safe about? Is it, wouldn't it be Jacob deGrom? It would won't. Would it be Shane Bieber? Would I, it be Max Scherzer? I don't know. He's going to be 38, right? He's getting up there in age. That's that's definitely fair. I put out a poll on Twitter uh, earlier on uh, Wednesday when we were recording this, and I asked, who would the SP1 be right now? And let's exclude Jacob deGrom because we don't know what's going to happen yet, right? So I put Scherzer, Cole, Walker Bueller, and Corbin Burns in this poll. Corbin Burns is the leader at 36.5%. Uh, Walker Bueller is actually second on this list, 33.2%. And yes, I realize that Brandon Woodruff should be on this list. Twitter only allows you to put five people uh, on a Twitter poll. So, well, and I, yes. I think I think Corbin Burns probably has the biggest red flag of all of them in that, you know, the one of the musts for an ace is the ability to log a lot of innings and... Uh, until a pitcher shows the ability to do that year after year, you can't trust him to do it. Maybe Burns will, but he's done it once now. And even that, I mean, we're I'm, I'm kind of giving, I'm kind of elevating him beyond the the innings total that he actually delivered. Uh, it was a huge increase from whatever what he had ever thrown before. Uh, it, it's it's a big assumption to say he's going to come right back and do it again. Uh, so that's that's part of it. Honestly, I'm not that worried about Garrett Cole. I thought the reaction to his start was one of the most unfair things, one of the most unfair takes after yesterday's game for a lot of reasons. But for the reasons that matter to our audience, the fantasy baseball audience, I think it's pretty clear his hamstring isn't right. You 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 did the breakdown of... of when the spin rates began falling across the league because of the foreign substance crackdown, which began basically at the start of June, is when you saw the spin rates dropping. But as we've talked about, after that initial stretch that basically ran the entire month of June where spin rates were down everywhere dramatically for some pitchers, Garrett Cole among them, it kind of normalized and the spin rates got back to normal, including for Garrett Cole. And we don't know why. It's not really worth getting into for our purposes. But he hurt his hamstring in the middle of September, Garrett Cole did. In the six starts preceding that hamstring injury, he had a 135 ERA, striking out 48 batters in 33 and a third innings. I mean, he was as awesome as he's ever been. And then the last three starts of the regular season, 
right after the hamstring injury, he had a 764 ERA, and then obviously a fourth start uh, in 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 the postseason that was not so great either. So like he had gotten back on track, and uh, the reason I limit it to only that six start stretch is you know it was really more like a 10 start stretch a 10 start stretch with the 245 vra but i didn't go i didn't count all 10 of those starts because there was one like just randomly awful start in the middle of that but even including that randomly awful start it was a 245 vra and 10 starts 89 strikeouts and 58 and two-thirds innings so i'm really not that worried about it i i think the hamstring injury that he never really even missed a start for um, was impacting his delivery and, and clearly throwing him off. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's an early or even mid first rounder. No, I, you know what? I don't think he's a first rounder at all. I think only Jacob deGrom, if we get assurances about his health, I think he's the only pitcher who would be a first rounder, but Garrett Cole will be the first pitcher. I take not named Jacob deGrom. All right. Early in the second. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no, that's fair. It, that was, you know, it, it's a good breakdown. And I know that there was a long stretch where he was good. So, again, like, there's a chance that it was the hamstring that was affecting him. And maybe he needed some time to adjust to pitching without the substances, assuming that he was using them. But it, it seems like there was a good chance that he was. Um, and, and we saw a lot of pitchers kind of have that adjustment period and then get back on track. Yeah. So, you know, he, he's he very he certainly, much followed the league-wide trend in terms of spin rate way down. Oh, suddenly the spin rate seems normal again, and his production more more than the average pitcher, his production corresponded to that. And then came the hamstring injury, and I, I think that's kind of skewing the uh, the numbers that you gave. The numbers last nineteen starts, if you look at his second half numbers, also in the area over four, it's really skewed by those last three regular season starts after the hamstring injury. Right. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he suffered the hamstring injury on. September 7th, uh, even if you go if you go up to September 1st, which was a, another great start for him, that was seven innings, one run, 15 strikeouts, he had a 3.52 ERA from June up until that start. So uh, it's still very good. It's just not the Garrett Cole that we are used to. So I don't know that we will see that pitcher again. Uh, does that mean that he still can't be a top five pitcher? No, like I think that's definitely possible. But uh, there's just like a few... I don't know. I, I want some answers. I want some answers in the offseason. Uh, and certainly he's not the only one <laughs> that uh, that we need answers for. Yeah, we have a long offseason off to figure that out. Before we lay the Yankees season to rest here, Scott, did you have the great fortune of hearing John Sterling's radio call of Giancarlo Stanton's first inning single, which many people, myself included, thought was a home run. Did you have a chance to hear this? I didn't hear it now. All right, well, <laughs> get ready for this. The pitch to Stanton. Drove, there it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Out of the ballpark. A Stantonian home run. Now, what did, what did I do wrong? What did I see wrong? He's at first base. <laughs> so he's he's saying, and, and he's at the ballpark too. So normally, you know, radio broadcasters have been calling games from their home parks while games are on the road. They allowed uh, both him and Susan Waldman to go to Fenway to to watch the game live and call the game on the radio. Uh, and that came courtesy of WFN. But 
he's like there's a ball bouncing off the green monster and back into the field of play and they're throwing it and he's still saying that ball is gone it is out of the stadium like so definitively and it's just like look i'm yeah. not gonna sit here and just like bash an 83 year old guy but like i don't know man i think it i think it might be time to hang him up it's just like, <laughs> that that is getting really far into the call to not catch yourself, you know? I, I noticed people were giving Matt Vaskersian a hard time on Twitter for the same thing, like... Oh, gosh, I mean... For, for reacting off the bat like it was a home run, and then obviously it is an home run. I, I think that's kind of a stupid criticism for the most part, because, like, sometimes you're fooled, you know? <laughs> like Oh, it's, it's I, the, just, the camera work was awful. They, yeah. Like, they did the zoom like it was a home run. Like, everyone... Uh, off the bat, I said, oh, that's gone. <laughs> so I, I started hopping around and stuff, and I'm like, wait... It's back in play. You're, you're a play-by-play man. You're supposed to be living in the moment. And right. part of living in the moment is, oh, that looked like it was hit much further, higher, harder than it was. You know, that just happens sometimes. But to complete the home run call, <laughs> you know, as opposed to just having an oversized reaction off the bat, like you don't know exactly off the bat what's going to happen to it. It looked good off the bat. What can yeah. you say? Oh, man. What did I do wrong? It's just like, imagine you're listening to that game on the radio. If like, I don't know, you have some kind of job where you're driving around, you're trying to listen to the Yankees and you you, like, you think that ball is gone. You think you're up one zip and just to find out that, nope, that is not the case. Before we hit the news and notes, this Sunday, the NFL on CBS welcomes in week five with some fantastic matchups, including Tom Brady and the Bucks hosting the Dolphins, the Saints taking on the Washington football team, and a battle between two of the best young quarterbacks when Baker Mayfield's Browns meet Justin Herbert's Chargers. Coverage begins at noon Eastern with the NFL today. It's week five of the NFL coming up this Sunday on CBS. Some news and notes already. I mean, <laughs> things are flying in here. The season just ended on Sunday, and and we've already got stuff happening. Uh, the Rockies, in particular, are making some moves here. CJ Crone, they signed him to a two-year, $14.5 million contract. He finished the season as the third-best first baseman, 13th best, excuse me, in uh, Roto, and he averaged 3.0 fantasy points per game. That was the 16th best first baseman in that format. 281 batting average, 28 homers, 905 OPS, stark splits, obviously, between Coors Field and on the road. But you were looking for a top 12 first baseman, Scotty. You might have gained one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the reason I didn't feel like I could include CJ Crown, uh, really, what we're basing this on is um, how high do we put Frank Schwindel? And how quickly the talent at first base tapers off. CJ Crone coming off the year he had in Colorado, he's somebody I could put ahead of Frank Schwindel. I could feel good about that, except he was a free agent. If he wasn't going back to Colorado, obviously we couldn't expect him to deliver those high-end numbers again. I mean, just look at the home way splits. Look at his career track record. But yeah, him coming back to Colorado is a pretty big deal for his fantasy value. And that's one guy I'm going to be ranking ahead of Frank Schwindel as a result. Yeah, no, that's it's good for us. We gain another uh, fantasy viable first baseman, definitely welcoming CJ Crone back to Colorado. The other extension that they gave out was Antonio Senzatella. They signed to a five-year, $50 million contract. He ended his season with a 4.42 ERA, a 1.34 whip overall, but he did have a quality start in eight of his last 10 starts. And those 10 starts, he was actually pretty solid 
uh, for the most part, his final start, he got absolutely destroyed in less than an inning, uh, one inning of work. So that inflated those final 10 starts. Uh, but he, he was pretty good. Uh, ultimately, it's it's a Rockies pitcher. It's worth mentioning because it's a five-year contract, but I don't know how fantasy viable Antonio Senzatella is going to be. Yeah, I I don't anticipate ranking him high or drafting him much, but there was something to his strong finish to the season. I, I know his very last start wasn't good, but um, he rates high in both ground ball rate and in in walk rate. He throws a lot of strikes. So the two of the three the uh, the two of the three legs of the XFIP triangle, the two that get the least attention, uh, Senzatella was very good. But the, the third one, the strikeouts, not so much. And then he's a Rockies pitcher, which kind of messes up everything. Yeah, I mean, if you're depending on, look, ground balls are a little bit better, obviously, but, you know, there's always going to be uh, BABIP inflated pitchers out there in uh, Coors Field. So, NL only, you know, super deep 15-team mixed roto. Maybe he has some relevance at some point in the season. But that is Antonio Sensatella back with the Rockies. And the Nationals re-signed Alcides Escobar to a one-year, $1 million deal. He finished the season batting 288, four homers, three seals, 53 runs scored in 75 games. I actually thought that was pretty surprising. I mean, over a 150-game pace, this guy's on, you know, he's on pace to score over 100 runs. So uh, a possible cheap run source for next year. Again, NL only, much deeper leagues. Alcides Escobar. You know what's so interesting, Scott? Helped you win, helped you win the Tout Wars championship. That's right. Final week in Coors Field. I, I appreciate you uh, remembering there, Scotty. But for Escobar, so interesting. I, I didn't realize he was out of baseball for so long. Like, he did not play in 2019. He didn't play in the COVID short in 2020. Then just comes back this year and is like, I don't know, not prime Alcides Escobar, but he, he was pretty damn good. I don't know. It was, it was surprising to see that he was out, out of baseball for that long. I mean, it was prime Alcides Escobar something to write home about. He's never never had double-digit home runs, never had double-digit steals. All right, so maybe he was prime. Uh, yeah, he did. <laughs> Hold on a second, Scotty. You're selling my guy, Alcides Escobar, a little bit short. No, I'm not. I've got the page, that the stats open now. You said he never had double-digit steals. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like, <laughs> stealing column. No, you're right. He did steal a lot of bases. I was like, hey there, man. 35 steals. That's, that's pretty Never bad. had double-digit home runs. <laughs> no, yeah. he, that that he yeah. definitely did not have. Uh, but Alcides Escobar will be back for the Nationals for one more year. I feel like this doesn't happen ever, but Tigers manager AJ Hinch said that Gregory Soto will enter the 2022 season as the team's closer. So I, I usually it doesn't happen this huh. early, but... We'll take it. I mean, that's one team that we, we don't really have to figure out, I guess. I wonder if his general manager agrees. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I guess we'll uh, find the Tigers, out. The Tigers, I think the Tigers are the team that I expect to make, you know, to, to really push the chips in this offseason and, and move into contending mode. Yeah. They, weren't, they weren't that far out of contention this year, and they have a lot of young talent already come up and more to come. You know what's interesting? They had the same... Record as the New York Mets. Wow. Think about that. The Tigers and the Mets had the same record. Very yeah. different expectations going into the season. So uh, I thought I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, apparently they're going to be in the market for a shortstop. They have great prospects on the way. Torkelson and, and Riley Green. And uh, they have young pitchers. So 
the Tigers, the Tigers are, they're on their way. They're on their way. The Padres have indeed fired Jace Tingler. We spoke about that uh, as a possibility on our last podcast. AJ Preller's job is safe. And speaking of the Padres, they are expected to pursue Marcus Stroman in free agency. And that could mean the end of Chris Paddock in the rotation, unless I don't know, Mike Clevenger has some kind of setback or someone gets hurt. Uh, but I assume that the top four would be Joe Musgrove, you Darvish, Blake Snell, Mike Clevenger coming off of Tommy John surgery. And uh, we'll see if they can actually reel in someone like Marcus Stroman in free agency. Theo Epstein will not be joining the Mets' front office. Uh, that was confirmed on Wednesday. Uh, can I interest you in the Yankees? <laughs> Definitely uh, would take Theo Epstein over. Look, Brian Cashman's done a great job with the Yankees, but like it's clear that it's clear to me that they need to change something. I don't know what that something is. I'm pretty sure Joey Gallo batting cleanup in your wildcard game, uh, batting like 160 in his time with the Yankees is not the answer. So we'll see. Some prospect updates. Uh, these are some big names that are playing in the Arizona Fall League during the uh, during October here. I was about to say during the fall. It's, you know, Arizona Fall League, I think it speaks for itself. Spencer Torkelson, Marco Luciano, CJ Abrams, Riley Green, Tristan Casas, Nolan Gorman, Nick Gonzalez, Asa Lacey, and Mackenzie Gore, uh, as well as many others that I don't have listed here. But those are basically you know top 60, top 75-ish prospects that uh, will be participating in the Arizona Fall League. Might have to have our guy, uh, the Welsh here, come on on the podcast in the coming week because I know that he'll be out there and following the Arizona Fall League very closely. Last prospect update, Blue Jays GM Ross Atkins said on Wednesday that Nate Pearson will be assessed this week to determine whether a procedure is required to address a sports hernia that he uh, dealt with this past season. He came back as a reliever. He actually looked pretty good as a reliever for the Blue Jays, but uh, I think long-term they still want to try him out as a starting pitcher. What You Missed in September, presented by Line and Kugels, and Scott wrote a very extensive article, which you can find on the site right now, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball, nearly 4,000 words. So uh, if you picked up football or you just kind of fell off because you weren't partic- uh, you weren't competing in your league anymore, definitely go check out that article. Uh, let's start with some notable newcomers, and uh, in particular, we spoke about this name a lot, Scott. Ranger Suarez, he was awesome down the stretch here. Uh, all in all, he had a 1.36 ERA, 1.51 in 12 starts while he was in the rotation. Give me an early starting pitcher rank prediction for Ranger Suarez. What are we thinking here? I know you haven't gotten that far yet, but top 40, top 50? Oh, I would guess top 40. Okay. Uh, with 151 ERA and 12 starts. And a lot of the early ones were short, three, four innings, but by the end, he was going six innings with consistency and even threw a complete game shutout in a second-to-last start of the season. So uh, was taking on a normal starter's workload and just doesn't give a pits. Now, the, the thing that would ruin him, and I don't, I don't think this is going to happen next year, but I noticed they're experimenting with it in the Arizona Fall League is requiring two infielders on each side of second base, eliminating the shift, basically, and also requiring that uh, the, that there always has to be four infielders and they have to stand. They, they can't be standing, basically, in the shallow outfield. Um, so, you know, clearly... Uh, 
combating the shift and and uh, experimenting with what that would look like. And it would really hurt ground ball pitchers like Ranger Suarez, I think, most of all. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of a wild hypothetical at this point. I don't really think they're close to introducing that in the majors. One concerning development that we had in September was Clayton Kershaw, who uh, he missed a couple of months this season already. He was dealing with a forearm elbow injury, and then he aggravated that in uh, the final regular season start for the Dodgers. He's already been ruled out for the entire postseason, where actually uh, right now the Dodgers and Cardinals are playing there in the eighth inning. It's a tie game. It's one to one. So uh, we'll see how deep the Dodgers uh, actually can make it in this postseason, but they will be without Clayton Kershaw, and he is 34 years old, and this is looking pretty grim overall at his advanced age, Scotty. Yeah, it's definitely concerning. I know the MRI uh, showed no ligament damage, and obviously that's the best news you could hope for right now. However, we've seen instances in the past where pitcher has a recurring elbow injury, MR is fine, and then suddenly it's not fine. Um, <laughs> Jacob DeGrom. I, I don't know how that happened. Well, it's happened over the years. I, I've, I've seen it happen several times. Right. It's not an uncommon thing. And it, and it may be at those times the pitcher starts throwing again, feels more pain, has another MRI, and oh, it turns out there is something going on there and maybe just the first MRI didn't show up or maybe it was very close to tearing and didn't tear. I, I don't know. I'm not a medical expert, but it doesn't feel to me like Clayton Kershaw is necessarily out of the woods with the elbow injury. And uh, given that he's 34 years old, has a pretty extensive hint injury history already. I could see him slipping outside of the top 20 starting pitchers in some drafts next year. I'm not saying for sure I'm going to rank him outside of the top 20 myself, but I could see it happening in a lot of drafts. How about a player that was even better than you think? We spoke about one Dodger. Let's talk about a Cardinals player, Tyler O'Neill. Massive, massive September. 328 batting average, 13 homers, 5 steals, and 1108 OPS in the month of September alone. Uh, finishes the year with 34 homers, 15 steals, Finally comes through with that power-speed combination, even with the strikeouts, uh, maintain a 286 batting average. He's got in a roto slash head-to-head categories league because I think he takes a bit of a hit in a points league. Uh, what round range would you look at drafting him in a categories format? Yeah, that's, that's going to be a tough question to answer. Uh, I'm, I'm going to enter with some skepticism just because he's any anybody who strikes out more than 30% of the time, I'm always going to be skeptical of that, uh, especially if you're counting on batting average on any level. And, uh, you know, you mentioned he hit 328 in September. Tyler O'Neill hit over 300 in August, too. So, um, you know, really, 286 was the final batting average. So, really, was a contributor in that category. I would say in Roto Leagues, you know, factoring in that he's also a modest steel source, it would be tough to let him drop beyond like round six, right? Yep. If we're talking 12 team context. Yeah, I, w I was thinking fifth or sixth. Yeah. I, I was just, you know. Yeah. I wasn't serious. I've basically looked at the first four rounds so far, and I'm going to be saying that for weeks probably because <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going position by position. But, um, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about him in round four yet. So, 
Yeah, I, I'm thinking six. A player who had a partial redemption to his season in the month of September, and that was Jared Kelnick, who, for the most part, he hit 181 uh, in his rookie season here, and it was it was disappointing for sure. But in the final month, he hits 248, seven homers, three steals, and 854 OPS. Uh, helped Seattle make that late push, just nearly missed playing in the wild card game themselves. But uh, Jared Kelnick, someone I think, Scott, who in in home leagues, you know, not in like expert or industry leagues or, you know, bigger money leagues, people are going to know, all right, he still has a ton of prospect pedigree. But I think it's some home leagues where people just see the overall numbers and how bad they are. I think you're going to be able to get Jared Kelnick at a really good discount next year and definitely someone I, I would, I'm still in on and I, and I would like to take a shot on in his second season. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. It, the shallower the league, you know, you could potentially get him with your last pick probably in some 10-team leagues. And, you know, his September wasn't, like, awesome, but it was it was enough to convince me he's on the right track. Like, he's going to be okay. He's moving the right direction. He's He's not just being totally overmatched anymore. And there's a lot of, a lot to like about Jared Kelnick still, obviously. So, um, yeah, the the final batting average still being 181, I, I think that's going to steer a lot of people away from him next year. Until maybe spring training. If he has a huge spring, all bets are off, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that would rocket him way up the uh, up the draft boards there. Uh, last player I want to talk about, a noteworthy debut, and that is Shane Boz with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, he struck out 18 while allowing just nine base runners in 13 and third innings pitch. Uh, he has a complete arsenal. He throws hard, high spin rate fastball. And people are already excited about it. I understand people are joking around with me. Like, I put out that poll, who's your SP1 for next year? I had like two or three people just respond, Shane Boz. Like, I just think people are going to be like, this is the prospect young stud pitcher that people are going to be in on next year. And if he shows out in the postseason, I think that we can see it have not the same type of ascension as like a Randy Arozarena, but it will have an effect like that on him for fantasy if he performs well in the postseason. Yeah, no, I could see him getting a ton of buzz going into next year to the point he may be overvalued. Like, I'm pretty confident right now just because of the workload limitations I expect to be put placed on Shane Boz next year that, you know, him versus Ranger Suarez. I'll take Suarez. You know, uh, but I could see him getting pushed maybe into the top 30 just because the buzz builds so much and Ooh. ton of talent. I, I think, you know, there's it, it's it's likely as soon as 2022, we might consider Shane Boz an ace or somebody who's on the verge of ace status in fantasy. But there there will be a buildup that needs to happen for him to get to that point. All right, I'm doing some quick math here. Uh, it looks like he finished a year with about 92 innings pitched between the minors and the majors. He's obviously going to throw a little bit in the postseason, uh, potentially a lot, depending on how, how far yeah. they go. But, yeah, I mean, well, he's going to settle in somewhere between 100 and 120 innings pitched, basically, between the postseason, the regular season, uh, majors, and the minors for Shane Paz. So what does that mean for next year? Uh, can he get up to... 150. 140, 150. Guess. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's a fair fair uh, projection for, for Shane Boz, but we'll see. Let's see what he does in the postseason. So this was one, two, three, four, five, five bullet points we just went over from that 
that article what you missed in September. There are 48 bullet points overall. So just <laughs> this is just a small sample of what you can find in that article. And uh, Frank was telling me there was there were some things in there that he wasn't even aware of. So it's <laughs> not just. I know we like because we talk about about Ranger Suarez, Shane Boz just now. Obviously, we've talked about those guys a lot on this podcast. But yeah. there are some guys in those 48 bullet points that we haven't talked about as much. Yeah. So be sure to check it out. Well, Scott, I, I said that to you in confidence. I didn't think that you were going to bring it up here. No, <laughs> uh, but Zach Gallon was one where I was actually surprised to see like his final eight starts. He was like pretty good. Five quality starts in his in his last eight. So I was actually uh, pretty surprised to see that from Zach Gallon. And so there you have it. That is what you missed in September presented by Line and Kugels. And I tend to enjoy IPAs more once the weather cools down a little bit, which means it's the perfect time to pick up a Line and Kugels Lemon Haze IPA. It's a well balanced, hazy IPA that blends hops with delicious lemonade. And of course, that is not, that's not all that they offer. They also have a Session Hellas, which has all the flavor of a crisp German style beer, and it's only 99 calories. And last but not least, my personal favorite, the Leinen Kugels Summer Shandy, smooth blend of, of beer and refreshing lemonade that hits just right when enjoying a baseball game especially a postseason game this type uh, this time of year. So no matter what type of beer you are craving, Liney Kugels has you covered. Just head on over to Liney.com. That's L-E-I-N-I-E.com or follow Liney Kugels on Instagram or Facebook for more information about all of the delicious beers that they brew. We'll take a quick break when we return. Season awards. Scott's writing another really long article, I assume. We'll talk about it next year <laughs> on Fantasy Baseball Today. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, so let's talk about some season awards for the 2021 season. Scott, uh, we we were talking about this beforehand. There's got to be some kind of creative name, right? Like, come on, the office has the Dundies. Uh, what are we doing? What are we going with here? I don't know. Usually you go back and listen to the previous year's podcast and remind yourself what we... <laughs> Because there was a name we used last year, but I can't think of it either. Uh, yeah, there was. Was it Was it the Scotties? That would make sense, right? Like, you're putting all the work into this. I guess they should be, right? Um, I don't know. All right. Well, we'll go with the Scotties. If anyone has a better name for it, tweet at us, at Roto underscore Frank, at CBS Scott White. Email us in fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. We need a name for these season awards, but for now, we'll go with the Scotties. And we will start with... Let's start with the best. The most impactful player this year was. That's your cue, Scott. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we didn't rehearse this first. No, okay. we didn't. Shohei Otani, the oh, most yeah. impactful player. I don't think that's. Um, 
I don't think that's a big shocker to anyone. One of the most prolific home run hitters, one of the most prolific base stealers. And if that's not enough, if you ever needed to use him, if you ever need to plug in another ace caliber pitcher, he was available for that too. Um, for, uh, for the innings that he did throw, which I think was about 130. So, uh, you know, and he was a middle round pick. He was a middle round pick. He was drafted. He was being drafted even even at the end of spring training, despite a monster performance where he was hitting home runs over the center field batter's eye every day. It seemed like he was still going outside the top one twenty. Yep. And um, I, I I very quickly got on board with that, and uh, that was probably probably the best call I made on season was to push him all season was to push him as hard as I did in the final days of draft prep season. And uh, I would say he was the most impactful. You know, that doesn't mean the very best necessarily, just if you got this guy on your team, the impact was like, I can't imagine there was anyone else on your team who made a bigger impact to your end of season where you finished than Shohei Otani. Yeah, look, his overall ADP, according to Fantasy Pros preseason, was 157.6. And in case you think, oh, well, no, there's no way you could get him that late, you know, once the spring training happened, I drafted him in my main event league. This is a 15-team roto, 5x5, with some of the best players in the world. It's a a very high price point. We got him in the, with the second pick of the 14th round in a 15-team league. So yeah, yeah, there was there were still people sleeping on him even leading up to like days before the season. Uh, so I'm with you there. Most impactful player. He will be a uh, consensus lock first round pick in 2022, assuming that he uh, shows up healthy and everything goes all right in the offseason for him. Your most valuable hitter, Scotty, goes to. You're not gonna do the drum roll. I can't do it for everyone. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I'll mix it in here and there because I feel like people are just gonna get annoyed if I play it too much. Okay, it's uh, it's Cedric Mullins. Now, the emphasis here is on the value. Uh, again, Cedric Mullins wasn't the single best hitter in fantasy this year, but he was pretty close, and that's especially saying something considering he was widely undrafted coming into the year. I, I don't think he was on many people's radars even as like a, a sleeper, and yet he was the only 30-30 guy in the majors this year. I believe that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he was he was a stud. He was a stud uh, after being just kind of a borderline fourth outfield type for a very bad team. And while his batting average did slide in the second half a little bit, the home run steals production remained strong and the impact remained high. So uh, I would consider him the most valuable hitter of this past season. Cedric Mullins was the only player to go 30-30 this past season. Trey Turner just missed it. He had 32 steals, but only 28 home runs. Shout out to Justin Mason, who we've had on this podcast before. I know that he was very big on Cedric Mullins coming into the season, and he drafted him in a few spots uh, before the year started. Scott, just for fun, would you like to guess Cedric Mullins' preseason ADP? 280. No, 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 no. It was higher than that? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, what was it? 440.7. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, so basically on, except for Justin Mason, apparently, on nobody's radar. <laughs> it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Your most valuable pitcher this season? 
so this is this I I didn't want to name any player for two awards. I didn't want to give you know obviously because I just want to write about different players. It's an excuse to write about players in the seasons they had. So I'm going to say the most valuable pitcher was Zach Wheeler. I think if I'm going to use the exact same criteria I used for most valuable pitcher, it would actually be Robbie Ray. But we'll get to him. We'll get to him. Zach Wheeler was better than Robbie Ray. Uh, he had he was one of the biggest innings thrower of the season. I think he had finished at about 214. Uh, had been a fine fantasy option, a, you know, a decent one, must start, but certainly mid-tier. And, and I don't think anybody was really anticipating him being capable of more than that. I mean, he's on the wrong side of 30, but he broke through as a legit eights this year. And um, for a while, it seemed like he might be fading August. I know it wasn't a good month for him, but he came back strong in September, looked like an ace still ton of strikeouts and uh i you know i i can speak from personal experience i drafted him as like my number four on a few teams and clearly he delivered much more than number four results yeah i i think he wound up being if not my most drafted starting pitcher he was one of my most drafted starting pitchers not really someone that I was overly excited to draft. He just kept falling, you know, like no one right. else wanted Zach Wheeler. And look, if you wanted uh, volume and innings, I, I thought that he was a pretty good bet for that. So he actually, he wa- seemed like the boring choice in the middle round. Right. Just to get, okay, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to get innings from, they're going to be decent. Yeah. Like, oh, if you miss out on Kyle Hendricks, you're like, all right, well, you know, Zach Wheeler is a fallback <laughs> option. And look how good Zach Wheeler was. He actually wound up leading baseball with 213 and a third innings pitched and didn't mention his name when we were talking about, you know, possibilities as the SP1 or SP2 being drafted next year. I think he's just behind that tier. You know, I think we have a pretty clear top five or six, but um, Zach Wheeler, I, I still think top 10, and I think probably a second or, or maybe early third round pick in 2022. The most improved hitter in 2021 was... It's a tie! Whoa! We have a tie! All right, really the answer is Cedric Mullins, right? But again, I don't right. want to use the same player twice. So... The tie is between Tyler O'Neill. <laughs> Ty's right there in his name. And uh, Austin Riley. Tyler O'Neill, Austin Riley, two guys who have been, uh, came up with a lot of hype, got buried by strikeouts early on, kind of fell off the radar, but we knew they had big power. We just weren't sure if they were ever going to really. And in O'Neill's case, have a chance to make good on it. And in Riley's case, if he was ever going to uh to really tap into it like we thought he could. But they were both they're both six win players, according to uh baseball references war wow. formula, their take on war. They're both six win players. They're both they both deserve to be in the MVP conversation, frankly. And obviously they emerged as as a high-end options in fantasy, ones that we'll see drafted fairly early, probably both in like the five, six range of drafts next year. And, and I think this is a good lesson, Scott, for for post-hype sleepers. You know, I mean, these were names that were regarded as as pretty high-end prospects. Maybe not the top of the top, but they they were regarded as high-end prospects, and they're still pretty young, uh, relatively speaking. Tyler O'Neill, twenty-six years old. Austin Riley. Uh, 24 years old. So, look, let's, you know, if we see guys struggle early on, and I think 
Jared Kelnick's a pretty good example of that, and we spoke about him a little bit earlier. Uh, sometimes it takes a while for for these players to uh, to come into their own, and I think these two are are very good examples of that. Your most improved pitcher was all right. Here's where we're gonna go with Robbie Ray. Oh yeah, yeah, because the improvement is just. Uh, he he did start to get hyped a little bit in spring training. I know Chris Towers specifically was uh, was very much in favor of targeting him late. But you know, my impression of him was kind of I'm over it, you know, because he did have a great season way back in 2017: 15 wins, 289 ERA, 12.1 K per nine, but just sank like a rock after that was. Walked way too many guys, was super inefficient. And in 2020, he had a 662 ERA. So to see him go from a 662 ERA to very likely the AL Cy Young um, and getting that walk rate under control finally, 2.4 walks per nine innings. I mean, even at his best, he was like three and a half walks per nine. So, um, you know, clearly, clearly a different pitcher this year, Robbie Ray. And um, I don't. I don't really see how you could call anyone other than him most improved. You know, Carlos Rodon was a name you could consider there, but obviously he had his issues late. Freddie Peralta, Trevor Rogers, you know, they all had their innings severely limited. We didn't see a ton of them in the second half, but Robbie Ray obviously was there from start to finish and had the, had the longest track record of futility. I would say Scott, do you have a best dressed award on here? I don't. I right. don't. Because... You like the tight pants? Yeah, I mean, look, if if we were giving out best dressed on the field, it's got to go to Robbie Ray. I mean, no one wears a tighter uniform than that guy. Uh, really, really tight pants, by the way. For uh, for our uh, female listening audience out there, if you want to go back and uh, watch some Robbie Ray highlights, please do. Um, but... Yeah, no, he was he was absolutely uh, fantastic this year, Robbie Ray. He finished as the SP6 in Roto, the SP4 in points leagues. Scott, uh, are you are you a skinny pants kind of guy, skinny jeans? Well, what what, no. what type of fit do you wear jeans-wise? I don't know that I've ever asked you this. <sighs> do you like jeans? Do you wear jeans? <laughs> There's some people that just don't wear jeans. In- like, they only wear, like, sweats or khakis. I, I don't know. It's well, weird. Well, I... I live in Florida and I basically work at home now, so I don't I don't wear a lot of jeans anymore. Um, Me neither. I did, wear them, I did wear them to the office back when I went to the office regularly. So yeah, I, I wear a lot of jeans. Um, I was big into the Jinkos in middle school. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty rocking was, the like that the- was something as a 13 year old. I'm just like. You don't really think that looks good, do you? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you didn't wear um, the um, the Paco jeans back in the day? No. Um, <laughs> no, Jinko jeans. Oh, my gosh. No, I just, you know. Jeez. I, I've, I've, had, I've had my own styling issues, granted, but um, that was not one of them. No, I mean, I just go for as middle of the road as possible. Relaxed fit, straight leg, just, you know. I, I'm too old to keep up with the trends, so just keep it. <laughs> Keep it timeless, you know? Well, Scott, don't throw out those Jinko jeans because I guarantee you they're going to come back around, man. Everything, you know, that goes out of style comes back around once again. There's no doubt about that. I Jinko jeans, I, I, you know, I just Googled them uh, and it reminded me of UFO cargo pants back in the day, which were a very big thing when I was growing up, which just in hindsight seems completely ridiculous. Let's talk about some baseball. Uh, who was the most improved pitcher midseason edition? Logan Webb. 
Oh yeah. Logan Webb, who I was actually really high on in spring training. Uh, they were they were, the Giants were hyping his changeup, comparing it to Luis Castillo's. And uh, you know, I don't know that that was actually the key to his breakthrough because it was nothing like Luis Castillo's changeup in terms of effectiveness, but it was a solid pitch for him at times. And uh, you know, more than anything, those ground ball that ground ball ability has elite ground ball ability uh, that would have ranked first among qualifiers. Not quite as good as Ranger Suarez's, but still, you know, top of the scale ground ball ability for Logan Webb, and um, was just one of the most reliable pitchers down the stretch. About a strikeout per inning, I think a little over. Um, consistently went six plus innings, and just emerged as, frankly, somebody even even in the leagues where I invested most heavily in pitching, I. I could not take him out of my lineup over the final two months. Mm -hmm. Second half of the season for Logan Webb, 2.71 ERA, 1.09 whip, almost 10 Ks per nine, 1.5 walks per nine. Awesome. Also, I know he, he fell off a little bit in September, but the underlying numbers are still really strong here. He has 60% ground ball rate. Uh, his XFIP was below 2.5, I, I think. I think Logan Webb is, uh, I think he's for real. I think he's here to stay. Yep. The biggest collapse this season goes to... Kyle Hendricks. Ooh. It's got to be Kyle Hendricks. And, you know, that's a guy I don't really know how to evaluate for next year. Because if you, if you had him in August and September, uh, he burned you... He burned you real bad. And 10 starts a 739 ERA... He entered the month of August with a 371 ERA and, in fact, had put together... Let me check here. He entered August with 13 quality starts and 15 chances, a 278 ERA during that 15-start stretch. So he he looked as rock-solid as it gets. And then at crunch time, it just all fell apart and rendered him unusable. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's not like he's ever been a big strikeout guy. So when he's missing his spots, it, it can get pretty ugly. Okay. We're definitely not going to get to all these because you've got a lot of awards here. So uh, we'll see how many we I can, can get to. I can try to go faster. I can try to go faster. All right. Yeah, if you want to get to all of them. Um, next up, we have the Bobby Big Bad Award. What does that mean and who won it? <laughs> so it, it's power. It's rewarding power. Um, You know, kind of. At a discount. All right. Power beyond what you expected when you drafted him. And, and the winner is Salvador Perez, who led the majors in home runs, led the majors in RBI as a catcher, and did it despite being drafted in the middle rounds. So I didn't see how I could give the award to anybody but him. I considered Adam Duvall, who obviously provided huge home run and RBI totals at even a much cheaper price. But the fact Perez did it as a catcher I think it goes to him. Uh, Adam Duvall, you brought up the name because I just wanted to check real quick here. His ADP preseason was 342.8, and he was uh, a big get, Adam Duvall, this past season, as was Salvador Perez. The Freddie Fleetfoot Award, I assume this is basically just the opposite. So uh, our biggest steals, steals contributors. Well, I had to give it to Starling Marte just because there were so few really like 
prolific base stealers. Starling Marte had 47 steals. The next closest was Whit Merrifield with 40. And then the next after that was 32. And there were only six guys total who stole 30-plus bases. So Starling Marte, a distant first with 47. I understand he didn't exactly come at a discount, but he he made... He, he clearly was the guy who carried you in that category if you did invest in him. And uh, probably probably lot won a lot of his investors the stolen base category. So, you know, I, I considered somebody like Nicky Lopez who would have been the discount guy, but, you know, we, we thought of him as being a pretty good steals guy. He, he only finished with 22. So that's a far cry from the 47 Starling Marte had. All right, let's marry these next two together, Scotty. How about your best and worst calls of the season? Best call is Nick Castellanos, who had exactly the kind of season I hoped he would have. Worst call is Teoscar Hernandez, who we talked about recently. I was He was my most confident bust pick, and I didn't hesitate to point it out whenever he came up. And uh, I actually don't feel there. There are calls I made that I feel worse about than that one because I mean Hernandez kind of changed his skill set and became, you know, started making contact much more often. So it's it's hard to anticipate things like that. But because I made such a big deal about how he was going to be a bust, I would say that's the that's the bad call I made that probably everybody's going to remember the most. <laughs> I remember we we talked about Nick Cassianos before the season, Scott, and, and I. I kept saying, I think he has this Freddie Freeman type season in that bat. It just it hasn't happened yet, but I think it's possible. And he did his best Freddie Freeman impersonation: three hundred nine batting average, thirty four homers, a hundred ribbies, uh, ninety five runs scored. That that will definitely get it done for Castellanos. As good as he was, two four, he was the sixth best outfielder in Roto. Teoscar Hernandez, the other one you mentioned, the third best outfielder this past season. How about your best and worst calls mid season edition? Uh, hang on, I lost my place here. Okay, best and worst calls midseason edition. Best is Ranger Suarez. You'll remember everybody had just bid on him as the Phillies' new closer, and then they traded for Ian Kennedy, and suddenly Ranger Suarez wasn't a closer anymore. I said, don't be so quick to drop him. I think he might turn out pretty good in a starting role, and um, he ended up having a 150 ERA or so in the starting role. So that obviously worked out. Worst call... Mid-season edition is Jorge Polanco. Uh, we talked about it on the latest podcast. I had him as one of my preseason sleepers, drafted him late in a lot of leagues. His first two months were horrible. There were lingering concerns about his ankle. I dropped him basically everywhere I drafted him. And from that point forward, he was like a top five shortstop. All right, let's move on to the fake out of the year. I know Adam Azer used to have the drop with the fooled you. And I would say that both of these players would fit that description. So your fake out of the year pitcher and hitter edition. Yeah, you say Kikuchi, who I almost went with for biggest collapse instead of Kyle Hendricks. But instead I put Kikuchi here, biggest fake out. Um, his his season it kind of mirrored Hendricks in that through... Uh, actually, it was just through July 1st. His numbers were great. 318 ERA, basically a strikeout per inning. We thought he had broken through, you know, elite swinging strike rate. He looked great. 
But then from July 7th on, his final 14 starts, Yusei Kikuchi had a 6.22 ERA. And, and by the end of the season, the Mariners had basically removed him from the rotation. Uh, for hitters, Jared Walsh, you know, it wasn't as dramatic. I think he remained useful all season long. But remember, at the start of the year, he looked like an emerging stud. Uh, was one of the few hitters who gave anybody anything worthwhile in April. Had a very strong May, too. Uh, but then after that, the power production really fell off. The The strikeout rate, which was so low early on, it normalized. And uh, over the final four months, he hit 262 with 17 homers and 801 OPS. You know, still usable, unlike Kikuchi, but clearly not high-end. Yeah, Kikuchi is going to be an interesting one to kind of dissect this offseason. Not that I think he'll have much value for next year, but just trying to figure out what went wrong because there was a stretch there, a, a pretty decent sample size where everything lined up for him. The swinging strike rate was awesome. The strikeouts were there. The walks were down. He was getting a good amount of ground balls, and he kind of looked like he was, all right, maybe he's one of this year's like major breakout pitchers in Yusei Kikuchi. So I want to go back and kind of figure out what exactly went wrong for him because... Um, yeah, there were there was a time there where we were we were all buying in the best comeback this year, both pitcher and hitter edition. Who you got? Yeah, this is like geriatric edition too, because my pitcher <laughs> is Adam Wainwright, my hitter is Joey Votto, both high thirties, you know, on the verge of retirement. It feels like, but uh, you know, nobody expected them to have. We, we basically thought they were done being worthwhile contributors in fantasy, but both of them bounced back with must-start numbers. And Adam Wainwright, you know, depending on your format, he was a, either a top five or a top ten starting pitcher, which was just unimaginable at the start of the year. Uh, there was also a, I missed this one, but best comeback mid-season edition. Who won that one? That was Blake Snell. Blake Snell, who you'll remember, right about the time we said, okay, I think he could think about dropping Blake Snell. <laughs> it's it's been several years since he went six innings. Um, apart, I think there was like one, one random start where he did, and uh, it's not like he's even pitching that well. And then about the time we said that, he turned everything around. His final eight starts at one eighty three ERA, sixty five strikeouts, and forty four and a third innings. And uh, then he got hurt. Obviously, missed most of September, but he made his point. There's still a lot to like there with Blake Snell. He's going to be an interesting one to try and rank for next year because ends the season with the injury. We have that, you know, one month basically or a month and a half where he he looked amazing again. But there were a bunch of months months before that where he looked pretty bad. So I don't know. I think Blake Snell is going to be an interesting one. Your biggest under and overachievers in 2021. Biggest underachiever is going to be Aaron Nola. You got that right. You got that one right, Scotty, for sure. And I'm, I'm, you know, by biggest underachiever, I mean this is what the numbers say he should have been, the underlying numbers say he should have been, and this is what they actually were. And the underlying numbers, both XFIP and XERA, both pegged him for about a 335, 340 ERA. His actual ERA was 463. And, um, you know, the strikeout rate was about the best he's ever had. Walk rate was the best he's ever had. Too many home runs, but still... It doesn't make sense that his ERA was as high as it was. Biggest overachiever being Marcus Simeon. I don't know how much I expect him to regress next year. Obviously, he's a free agent, so that'll factor into it. But um, 
expected batting average was 241 versus the 265 mark he actually had. Expected slug, this is even a bigger difference. Expected slug was only 444. Obviously, with his 45 home runs, he slugged 538. So almost a 100-point difference there. I'm telling you, Scotty, the venue will matter for Marcus Semien this offseason. Very interested to see where he winds up in free agency. For these final, what do we got? Two, four, six awards. I will give you 10 seconds for each of them, Scotty. And starting with the Gonzo Award. The what? Biggest weirdo. Gonzo <laughs> from the Muppets. He's a weirdo. That's what he's known as. Uh, Cal Quantrill. Can't make sense of why he was so good. That's somebody I could call a biggest overachiever too. He had a 443 XFIP versus a 289 ERA. The guy fantasy footballers won't see coming. Oh, smile. Bring a smile to my face. Frank Schwindel. Oh, Frankie two hits. Where did this 30-year-old come from with this 320 batting average? Got to figure he's going to be drafted in all leagues next year. The one you've already forgotten about. Yeah, Patrick Sandoval. It's been it's been so long since he was in our sights that um, I think uh, I think it's very likely you're not even thinking about his 2022 prospects at this point. The big strikeout rate, the big whiff rate on the slider and changeup, changeup especially. Um, but I, I like him going into next year. By the way, our our buddy, friend of the program, Nick Pollock from PitcherList. We play on a softball team together. No big deal. Uh, he calls Patrick Sandoval the Irish Pandas. I th- thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, the one I wouldn't shut up about is... Brendan Rogers. Self-explanatory. Very self-explanatory. Mr. Look Who Finally Decided to Show Up. Hmm. Adalberto Mondesi. <laughs> who you drafted to be a big contributor in steals. He was absent for most of the season, but when he came back in September, stole 14 bases. If... If uh, really, if if you stayed competitive that long, then uh, you got a huge impact in that category late. I know personally, it's a big reason I won the podcast for the people league, which was a head to head categories league. Had him in my lineup for that final week and uh, got me an easy win in that category. Jeez, yeah, you're not kidding, man. <laughs> 14 seals. Wow. Uh, did he win the award last year too, Scott? Mr. Luke, who decided to show up. I don't think I had that award last year. <laughs> well, I feel like you could just pencil him in every single year, Adalberto Montesi. Last but not least, Mr. Thanks for the Memories. Hyunjin Ryu. Ooh. I think he's done so. think he's done so. It's been real. It's been real, Mr. Ryu. But I don't, I don't see much hope for you going forward. I will remember you. That's Hyunjin Ryu. I also thought you could have put Kyle Hendricks uh, on on that one too. Could have because could have he might be Dunzo yeah, as well. Yeah, um, he might be. I'm I'm less confident in that though. All right, we did it. A bunch of awards. What you missed in September? A huge Garrett Cole conversation. Uh, we'll see if it actually matters by the time drafts are happening in 2022. You can read all of Scott's work again on the site cbsports.com/fantasy/baseball. We're gonna wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching fantasy baseball today. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Bye bye. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. 
It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.